What's going on, people? Welcome to Pain Points, a Tainus Hoopers podcast, brought to you as always by SB Nation Network. I am Jake Painting. You can catch me on Twitter at Jake Painting, J A K E P A Y N T I N G. You can find all of the great writers over at Tainus Hoopers, all their written work at TainusHoopers.com. Today, I'm joined, as usual, by my friend and Tainus Hoopers brethren. Jack Borman, what's going on, man? Doing well, man. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Same old stuff. Today, we're going to do some draft stuff. I know we've kind of been avoiding the draft a little bit just because it seems like it's going to be forever before we actually get to watch the draft and and watch prospects enter Minnesota. But we will get into a bit today. We're just going to go through a few pairings, a a few this or that prospects and kind of choose between which prospect we'd rather out of two and, and speak about that for a little bit. So um, we may as well just jump straight into it. Like we just said off air, we're probably going to be here for a while because we, we both love to talk to draft stuff. But we'll jump straight into it with, with the top of the draft, two two best point guards in the draft by, by consensus, and that's Lamelo Ball or Killian Hayes. Who would you rather, Jack? And that we're going from a Minnesota point of view. So So obviously there's... A difference between fit and an overall best player, but we're kind of gonna break it down as a who would rather. Yeah, so 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 in a few of these, I'll have players who, uh, in in my rough kind of first rough draft of the board, um, that'll be someone that might be higher on my board, but lower in terms of fit for the Timberwolves, just because obviously you know, uh, Timberwolves had different fits than than other teams do, um, but. Uh, so between LaMelo Ball and Killian Hayes, uh, I would definitely rather have Killian Hayes, and it's not particularly close. Yep. Uh, and, and the reason why I think that is just because Killian Hayes is a really, really good pick-and-roll defender, uh, as well as a pick-and-roll playmaker. And, uh, you know, as good as LaMelo Ball is in terms of his vision, his basketball IQ and passing, uh, he, I just don't think he's quite as comfortable playing in a really PNR-centric system like the Timberwolves are going to have, especially with uh, guys like D'Angelo Russell and Carl Towns. Um, so, uh, and especially too, since LaMelo, I just don't think he was really, he didn't show a ton of great shooting in the in the NBL. And I think a lot of that had to do with shot selection and, and the fact that, you know, <laughs> like in, in games that weren't particularly close, he just kind of started doing his own thing that he would do in high school, which is just kind of pulling up from all over the place and not really caring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think that, that because Killian Hayes is such a smart on the ball player, he could function really, really well uh, with alongside D'Angelo Russell with D'Lo playing at the two, um, and and just the fact that, that Killian is really good isolation player and can create his own shot, I think is important as well. And you can never really have enough guys like that on your team. Um, and so I think that Killian would slide in uh, and start at the and start at the one from from day one for me. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. I had Hayes as well. I'm, I guess, lower than Ball on Ball than most. I'd still have him in my top three, probably, probably at three. But but Hayes might be my number one prospect. Really, I I just finished writing um at the piece for him over at Kane Super, so I watched a ton of of games of him. I got I got a few games sent to me off a of friend, so that that really helped. And um. I really love Hayes. Like you said, I think he's a, a very underrated defender off the ball as well. Really smart team defender. Can make plays in passing lanes and, and kind of uh, follow his man around. Very very aware, very 
smart as a, as a team defender. And then, yeah, like you said, good on the ball, good pick-and-roll defender, really good pick-and-roll playmaker, really nice at those, those skip passes to the, to the corners and as well as just to spoon-feeding the big man on rolls. Both of those, I think, in that, in that pick-and-roll heavy system will really help. I'm not sure I'd have him as a, as a starter from day one, but I'd definitely have him playing pretty big minutes, 25 to 30 minutes a game. I think there might be a little bit of a redundancy with, with uh, D'Angelo Russell just because they're both very left-hand dominant, both kind of similar players, I guess. Uh, I think Hayes, like Russell, is a very good shot creator, very good at those step backs and, and crossover jumpers, loves to get into the mid-range, not a very good finisher around the rim. So I think they're kind of similar players, which I guess you know can go either way. You you either can plug plug him in and play the exact same kind of scheme as you do with Russell, or you can, um, or he can kind of be redundant and get in Russell's way by doing the same thing. But I lean towards the former. I think they'd be very good together. I think Hayes could back him up really well. And yeah, overall, I just think um, Hayes is probably, I think, better, the better prospect than Ball. A high, much higher floor, in my opinion. And yep. I think, yeah, like you said, the, the things that Ball struggles with are really the things that, that Minnesota value the most, and that's three-point shooting, getting to the rim, being able to, to help the defense that, that already struggles so much. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty obvious one for me. Yeah, I just think that LaMelo really kind of furthers a lot of the problems that the Timberwolves currently have in the sense that it's guys who are really inconsistent shooters and some nights they could be on, some nights they could be off, can be really turnover prone, uh, even even in the half court. I know Dane Dane was talking about in his latest pod with with Wilda Berg uh, about the fact that LaMelo... Lamelo really would, would turn the ball over a lot just because he was really trying to make uh, kind of adventurous that home run pass. Home run every pass. Time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and you know I, I do think that that's true to a certain extent, but I, I would like to see Lamelo take care of the ball a lot more um, and kind of have that more fun of mind, uh, especially if you'd be playing in Minnesota, uh, just because I think that you already have guys like Josh Kogi, Malik Beasley, and, and even Cat to a certain extent who well and Delo I guess too. All guys that, that could be turnover prone. Um, I mean, and, and if while we're at it, let's let's just throw Jared Culver in there too, especially if he's <laughs> going to the rim and gets it stripped. So, um, so I really think that taking care of the ball is going to be really important uh, for whomever is is running the point. Uh, and and I just don't really think that Lamelo is fits with with exactly the type of scheme Minnesota wants to wants to uh, wants to play out there and. And the other point that, that I wanted to make about Killian, kind of the distinction between him and D'Lo, is that I think that D'Lo is a really dynamic off-the-ball player, whereas I don't think that Killian That's, Hayes yeah. is quite there. And, and one of the weaknesses that I had listed uh, for Killian was just that his catch-and-shoot uh, numbers weren't that good. And he just doesn't really look, you know, he doesn't have a lot of experience playing off the ball. And I told, and that's totally understandable, uh, just because, you know, he's been one of those guys that... Uh, has always had the ball in his hands because he's always been the best option for a team at the point. Um, but in terms of just catch and shoot numbers, he only shot 33% in catch and shoot uh, with an effective field goal percentage of 50%. So, um, and that's a relatively small sample size, but that's compared to his off the dribble numbers where he's shooting 45% in 
and has an effective field goal percentage of uh, 58.1%, which puts him in the 88th percentile as opposed to uh, 41st in catch and shoot. And so it's really interesting that, that a player who struggled just shooting in general two years ago has now become a much better off the dribble shooter as a point guard than, than a catch and shoot player. Um, but the, I think that, like you said, his floor is just sky high because he has so many marketable skills that will absolutely translate to the NBA from day one. And, um, and even if you wanted to have him run the second unit, I think he'd be great at that because then it would still allow you to play a two point guard lineup. If, if J Mac was back, because um, we've we've outlined how, how good those two were together last year. But uh, but yeah, I just think that if the Timberwolves really want to get the most out of D'Angelo Russell, they got to use him on the ball and off the ball. And if you're looking at guys who could potentially slide next to D'Lo and play the one, um, I think Killian Hayes is at the top of that list for me. I agree with that. And I think that the, the catch and shoot numbers kind of work to my point where I think that he would be better served immediately running the second unit because then he can kind of have the ball in his hands at all times all the time, and then yeah and I, then I, like I, you said he can he can come in and play next to D'Lo and, and guard twos and still get a little bit of that that on ball work or, or off ball work you know you get D'Lo off the ball keep Hayes on the ball but it, it kind of as much as Russell is a, a really good off the ball player he's still a very ball dominant point guard you know by nature by nature so you you want Russell to have the ball in his hands for for as much as he can and that means, I think, bring Hayes off the bench, give him still 25 to 30 minutes a night, either backing up Russell and sharing the floor with him, and then that you kind of get the best of both worlds. Both guys kind of get a bit of time off the ball, get a bit of time on the ball, and right. you, you bank on Hayes being able to, to guard twos when he's on the floor with Russell. Oh, I think he could pretty easily. Yeah. What's his, what, what type of wingspan does he have? He's got... Uh, I think it's he's got, six, it's foot, like six a, foot nine, I think. Six yeah, foot nine six from nine. memory. Um, yeah, let me see if I have it. And he's and he's quite down. big too. I I see a lot yeah, of yeah. Different... I have six eight written down, so six eight six nine right in there. Yeah, and, and I see a lot of differing in the in the weight for him. Like I've seen like at one eighty five to two fifteen, but he looks pretty NBA ready for me. He's played over I think seventy professional games, you know, and he's been playing as a professional since he was sixteen seventeen. So and that... playing in the Euro Cup too is important because Euro Cup yeah. is probably the second best league in Europe beside the beside the Euro League. Yeah, and they're guys that'll stomp on your throat to to earn their paycheck. You know what I mean? Like they're not they're not you know small dudes. Right. They're, they're big dudes who are going to set bone crunching screens. Like and then yeah, but dealt with that for for two three years. And and the other thing that I that I want to mention too is he's been a better defensive player than offensive player during his time yeah. overseas, which I think is important to to note that that'll translate that'll translate well. And I don't think the defense is quite as physical in the NBA as it is overseas. So hopefully the offensive game will be a little bit easier for him uh, as well as the defense. Um, and the other thing I was just going to mention too, you said that he'd still play 25 to 30 minutes a game. And I, and I think that's important too, because we all know that, that we can kind of count D'Lo in for about 65, 65-ish games yeah. um, out of an 82, 82 game campaign. And I, and, and I really think that it would just allow D'Lo to kind of go balls to the wall for the, the 25 to 30 that he's out there, uh, which I think would be better for his health and probably better for, better for his long-term effectiveness in Minnesota as well. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so we'll jump into the next one. So, uh, Anthony Edwards or Onyeka Kongwu, both again, top tier prospects. 
Yeah, so this one I think is tough because I think there's a very clear path for both prospects to really be really good in Minnesota. Um, and there are two guys right now that I'm kind of grappling with who I want to have uh, round out round out my top three, kind of in what order I want these two guys to be in. But um, for the sake of, of the Timberwolf, looking at the Timberwolves' needs, uh, I'm going to go with Onyeka Kongwu here. Uh, and that's just because I think that Onyeka Kongwu provides so many things that would be just immediately deployable in Minnesota from the sense that he's an incredible off-ball defender in the sense that he's really, really good at reading the defense and seeing the entire floor and just knowing where to be. And, and he knows his body extremely well in the sense that he knows how to lay in the weeds uh, in order to put himself in the best position to make a play on the ball at the rim or or kind of go catch a pass over the top to a rolling big uh, and just kind of cause havoc all over the floor on defense. Uh, he's incredibly versatile defensively. Uh, he can guard one through five pretty easily. Sometimes he's a little little slow going side to side if he if he isn't in the right position, but I'm not worried about that. I think that that'll, that'll kind of fix it, or he'll fix that at the next level. Um, his role gravity, I know you've outlined it in articles before, is fantastic. He has the best hands of anybody in this draft at the rim, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I think is really important for, for a PNR guy, uh, kind of a rim running guy. Um, and, and then the, the two other things that I had here was tremendous offensive rebounder, and he's really good around the rim. And and uh, and in post offense, yeah. Uh, um. So I agree. I, I agree. But I I agree with all those points. But I chose Edwards. Okay. I'm I'm higher on Edwards. I think that than you and probably probably most guys. I'd have I'd only just I think moved Hayes above Edwards on my rough board. But Edwards, I think the reason why I didn't go with the Congo is just the the rigidity of the of the system that they've shown so far obviously that could change right. but I, but I'm kind of banking on on Minnesota really playing that that you know one guard three wings one big and then also the very strict drop scheme and I think that is not um that's not giving enough benefit to to a Conwell or playing to his strengths as much as it should by the drop scheme he's just a really really good hedger the way he hedges yeah, and, reco- and, he's and recovers. Yeah, so athletic to a point where he can recover. And, and yeah, that's probably my favorite uh, kind of skill set of his is the way he gets out onto guards, you know, bothers them for that one second, allows his big to get, uh, allows his guard to get back into the pick and roll defense and then can get back to his big man really quickly and, and kind of shut down both avenues of a pick and roll. And I don't think Minnesota would let him play like that because they've just shown that they're going to play a drop scheme at all times or they're going to switch one through four. And I don't think, I think he's, I think he's a center in the league. Akonru. I think he can obviously play the four. Like you said, he can guard multiple positions, but I think he's probably best used as a center in a, in a hedging kind of system, which is, I guess the reason just why I went towards uh, Edwards, because I, I do like them both, but I think Edwards just with, with a shorter leash, I've spoken about this before, but with a shorter leash than he had it in Georgia, a guy who can just spot up for catch and shoots, use that that really good shot creation that he has in in more limited bursts, and then guard guys, you know, not take the best the best wing uh, perimeter player at all times. Kind of if you have him with with a Josh Okoge, I guess that's kind of different if it's with Malik Beasley. But even then, I, I think I like him 
I think he's one of them players who I think will be better at the next level than he was at college, just because he was in a pretty poor situation for his... Kind of like a Ben Simmons in the sense that I, I think that Ben Simmons was kind of lethargic and apathetic at LSU because he knew he yeah. was going to be a top five pick. Went to a school that, that wasn't really going to compete to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, and, and But it still just has crazy undeniable talent. And, and the other yeah. thing... and. And I'm not going to argue with you at all with Edwards, just because it was no, so it was yeah, so, it was not, so hard yeah. for me to to try and determine everything. But I think you're spot on about Kongwu and and how his how his defensive strengths don't really match up with with what Minnesota's doing. I think it would kind of be hard to to play two separate defenses in the sense that if a Kong was on the floor, you're going to play one way, and if Cat's on the floor, you're going to play another way. And I think Towns uh, needs that really structured environment. If you if you change too much up, it kind of seems to overwhelm right. him. And, and I can I can understand that. And and part of me wants to see Cat play the four in the sense that I think that he's a really good perimeter defender for a guy his size. He's incredibly yeah. agile and quick. And he almost looks more comfortable out there. And I think that that might just be because he was a shorter guy for, for a... a a good chunk of his his life and, and and grew a ton in high school, and and, and you kind of see that sometimes too with with guys that, that go through huge growth spurts like that. But uh, but yeah, I, I really wish that there was a there was a world in which Cat could play the four and, and a Kongwu could slide in and play the five. But uh, but yeah, it's it, it sounds like that's <laughs> that's not something that that's going to happen, and and it's probably more of an idealistic look. But uh, but but who knows. Yeah, I think that's the best option, I think, for a time where if you're going to bring him in, you, you play Cat at the four, and then and like they do, you kind of switch everything one through four, Cat included now, and then you, you get a Kongwu in as the center. But like I said, even then, I think they'd have to just tweak that system a little bit and, and allow him to hedge. And I think that would... I think, in general, I like the hedging system better. Even, so with, with, ta- even with Towns, I think you, you better to let him get out there and move his feet a little bit rather than, than having to defend... You know the guard and the big when when inevitably you know Russell gets picked off in the pick and roll and then Towns kind of has too much to think about and too much to do and ends yeah. up making the decision and would probably end up having to play almost kind of like a free safety role and I just don't know if he sees the floor well enough defensively to really be able to do that and, and cover if a Kongu's going to hedge and isn't able to recover in time I think that there would be a lot of easy buckets at the rim but. If they were able to string that together and make it work, and and Cat improved or, or or showed more comfort, kind of in that free safety role, uh, I, I think it'd be would be really interesting to see. But I'm just, yeah, you kind of talked me out of it. I, I think that <laughs> I'm kind of a little less confident in that fit. Uh, but I've always been more of an idealistic thinker when it comes to the draft because you just want to be positive. Right. But, um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So who yeah. do we have for the? Ne- Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to say also with that is I think that like we said before with, with Hayes and, and Ball, I think it's kind of the opposite where, where we were saying Hayes has the, the higher floor so we kind of feel a bit safer taking him whereas this one's like a Congru might have the highest floor in the entire draft. I mean, he's going to be a really good rim runner. He's going to be a good rim protector. He can pass a little bit out of pick and roll. He can, you know, defend the pick and roll in multiple ways. So I think no matter what, he's going to be a pretty reliable NBA player, whereas Edwards has that real star potential. And I'm not sure, I guess I'm, it sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. As I said, I'd rather Hayes with, with the higher floor. But when I'm splitting hairs between Edwards and Conrail, I kind of came back to the, the fact that 
if Edwards hits, you know, most of his potential, he's going to be a really dynamic player, especially offensively. Yeah, and and I think it's going to be a different different thing than the than the Andrew Wiggins situation. Yeah, um, same. Just because I think that Anthony had, Edwards has much, and this goes back to the time that I've seen him play in high school. Um, but but I think he's really got more of a killer instinct in him, and he's spent a lot of time going toe to toe with guys that are really really good individual players, and he's shown the ability to to show up in those games, play really well, shut other opposing star players down and and rise to the occasion and sometimes with Andrew you just don't see that fire and uh and I think Edwards has it and if he was able to to light that and and Minnesota was able to kind of like you said put him in a role where where he can really focus more on his strengths and less on being the the best player on the floor I think that I think that that would work really well for him I think it's just a lot of people make that Andrew Wiggins comparison, and I definitely see where I see where what they go. mean, but I, I just don't think they're looking the lines. Yeah, and I think the the thing that stands out to me is that two of um, Wiggins's biggest kind of deficiencies are the fact that he he was never really strong enough to to compete for a hundred percent of the game, and he kind of never put on much muscle, and it's not like he was weak, but and he could get to the rim, but he was kind of always a bit slight of frame, and he also always had trouble with his ball handling and always got the ball stripped, or, or eventually, you know, he'd start off the season with, with a tighter handle, and then it would kind of get worse and worse as the season progresses, and I think they're two things where Edwards is really good at. Like, he's very, very strong already, and I'd, I'd wager that he's going to get stronger and then he's just a really good ball handler for a guy who's you know six foot five, six foot six. He's got the ball on a string at times. Really can string together multiple moves and, and create space for himself in, in a lot of different ways. So they are the two things I'd use to dispel the kind of Wiggins comparison. I think. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that that Edward's shot profile in the sense of of the shot making capacity and capability he has is so high, and I know he doesn't do it all the time, but and doesn't convert and make shots at a high rate all the time, but he's shown flashes of being able to do it. And I think the fact that he'll, he'll have other guys that can make plays around him will go a long way in, in helping him be able to kind of create an island and, and find his groove. So I'm excited to see it. And, and ultimately, I think if the Wolves did have the number one pick uh, and you made me put money on it, I, I would put all my money on, on that pick being Anthony Edwards. Yeah, so um, we'll get into the third pairing. So this one's a tough one for me, but uh, James Wiseman or Obi Toppin? Yeah, this one was actually really easy for me, and I don't think it's particularly close. Um, so I'm actually a lot higher on James Wiseman than I think a lot of people are. And I think that people, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just that people are, are looking harder at, at what Wiseman can't do versus what he can do. The, but, town's, the town's effect. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that there's a very clear path to James Wiseman becoming a, com- a borderline unstoppable superstar in the NBA in the sense that the frame that he has and his athleticism is absolutely off the charts. He's 7'1", 235 with a 7'6 wingspan. He has incredibly light feet. He's a freak in transition. He destroys people on the glass. Um, and he's a really strong interior defender. Um, I think that sometimes he can get a little block happy and kind of go block hunting, which I think 
happens when you've always dominated at the rim for your whole entire life. Yeah. Uh, but I think if he can develop more defensive discipline in the NBA and uh, and kind of work on his ball handling, I think if he could tighten up his ball handling, he would be he would be able to just blow by bigger defenders that try and guard him on the wing. Um, and, and a lot of people don't really buy his, his jump shot or his touch, but I do. I think that his shot form really isn't that far off from from being really workable and and, and effective. Um, and, and he's an incredible finisher around the rim. Uh, he just finishes everything in near around the rim, whether he's cutting, whether he's posting up. Uh, he's just got really good control of his body around the rim, and that's something that I think I think with some guy his size will will absolutely translate. Excuse yeah. me, to the next level. Um, and uh, yeah, I just really would love to see him play in Minnesota, uh, just because I want to be able to watch him for eighty-two nights a year, but. Uh, especially since we didn't really get to see much of him in uh, much of him at Memphis. But this pick was more of a, I just am really down on Obi Toppin. Um, I think that even Obi Toppin's strengths in college is that I I don't really think are going to translate super well to the NBA just because everybody's way more athletic. And when being athletic is really your only true amazing strength outside of being able to finish around the rim, um, I, I think that you run into problems. I think that uh, he has a really high center of gravity in the sense that lowered that smaller defenders uh, can kind of push him around in the paint if they have if they have good positioning. Um, I think he's probably the worst defender in the draft. Yeah. And um, and I just I don't see how he fits next to Cat or in front of Nas Reed. I just I would rather have Nas playing out there than Obi Toppin. Yeah. Um. I'm pretty much in a similar boat to you. I'm definitely lower on Wiseman than you, but I still chose him in, out of this um, out of this pairing. Um, it's kind of like a Russian roulette with, with six bullets in the in the chamber for for me with this one because I don't really want either of them in Minnesota. So it's, it's it was a hard choice because I I am fairly you know optimistic that that Toppin can be a good offensive player in the league. I think he does. I think the the athleticism, like you said, is not going to pop as much as it did at the collegiate level. But I still think he he's a super athlete for a big guy, and he can also really stroke it from deep. So I think he I don't ever think he's going to be like an offensive hub type, you know, Carl Anthony Towns kind of offensive weapon. But I think he could be like a a seventeen to eighteen point scorer a night at some stage. But even then, the the defensive issues, especially if it was to to be in the situation of Minnesota, are, are just super concerning to me. And that's where I think Wiseman definitely gets the edge. Obviously, he's got a, a way higher ceiling than than Toppins, which is, which is admittedly very low. But I think I still think Wiseman has a lot of work to do as a pick and roll defender, as anything kind of that's not a rim protector. I think he's got a lot of work to do, but he's obviously got the tools to be able to do it. And I don't think it's, you need to do that much kind of mental gymnastics to envision him becoming a pretty decent defender, especially if he's, if he's really switched on, on that end. I know on a podcast with, with Kyle the other week, I, I said he kind of reminds me of a white side at times, but I guess all it takes is that, you know, 10 to 20% extra awareness and, and want to, which I think that Wiseman probably has, you know, to be a really, really good defender rather than a, than a white side. And so for that reason, 
I'm going Wiseman. I don't really want either of them just because I don't think either of them fit very well next to Towns and you're not going to spend a, a top seven pick to, as, on a backup. Like you said, I, I wouldn't really want, you know, Obi Toppin playing as a backup or Wiseman. If, if they think they can play him next to Towns, that's a different story. But right now, I'm definitely going Wiseman of the two. I think he's got a much higher defensive potential and can still be a, a, a good rim runner great transition player like you said like you don't often see guys his size kind of bounding down the court in transition like he does so yep not very high on either of them in comparison to to the consensus but definitely Wiseman of the of the two yeah I I think too that you know I I like Obi Toppin's shot but um I just I really wonder how that's gonna be at a much higher volume in the NBA yeah. Um, and who knows? I think, you know, like you said, Obi Toppin could, could be a 17 or 18 point per game score. Uh, but I could also see him being like a seven or eight per points per game score that just kind of struggles to find a groove on offense. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think that the floor, just because Wiseman is, he's a, has a crazy good frame, is absolutely massive. And is and is really dominant inside already. I think that he'll have a much easier time finding success at the NBA, and really just think that he has better foundational skills to to potentially become a star. And when you're looking at these two guys, who neither of them really fit super well on yeah. Minnesota, I think yeah. that you just got to go with the guy who has the higher star potential and can probably make a bigger impact on day one. And for me, that's, uh, that's Wiseman. Yeah. I, I, I was along the same, the same line of thinking. I think that I don't think either of them fit very well, but if you had to make the choice, I think Wiseman's the pretty obvious one there. Even though I know a lot of people have mocked Toppin to Minnesota just because they, the hole in their starting lineup seems to suggest that they kind need a four. Yeah, that's I agree. It's kind of like, well, they need a four. We'll just put the put top in there. But that's kind of as soon as you start to you know uh, uncover the the actual holes in Minnesota's offense and in their defense, you can see that Toppin's probably not the answer. Yeah, it's kind of like Lamelo in the sense that sure, I I get the intrigue, I get why people like him, but I just don't think that getting a guy that doesn't solve the immediate problem of can he play defense. Uh, <laughs> Adding a guy like that would be would be very smart. Yeah, I think the, a lot of the mainstream media and kind of draft guys as well um, see Minnesota as this team that's deep in a rebuild. Which obviously, you know, they were second second to last in the in the West this year, so they're obviously not a great team at the moment. But I think the front office doesn't see them as a team that wants to compete in in five years. They want to compete in this Carl Towns window before he has a chance. To, to get up and leave, and that's pretty much, you know, next season, the season after, and the one after that. So I don't think you can wait around for, you know, Lamelo Ball or, or Obi Toppin to to work out the kinks in their game over the next three years. I think there's definitely a, an argument where you just need to get a guy. If, you, if you're splitting hairs between two guys, you need to get the guy who you think can come in and help you straight away and maximize Towns' window and Russell's. For sure. Yeah, I... I completely agree. All right, so we're going to the next one. Um, so uh, two wings here, Devin Vassell or Isaac Okoro? You're really killing me here. These are two of my <laughs> favorite players just because I, I, I love watching both of them play. 
and I've probably seen more of these two guys play than anybody else in the draft. Yeah, um, same. At least going back and, and watching film from, from more of a let's let's watch this guy perspective, um, just as I watched guys like Tyrell Terry and uh, and uh, Anthony Edwards and, and Cassius Stanley and guys like that. I watched a lot of those the teams they played for. I watched those games a lot, uh, but but wasn't really watching it from from more of like a, a draft lens. Uh, but here I went with I went with Devin Vassell here just because uh, I I think that I think that Devin Vassell's defensive versatility is is really really impressive for you know a guy who wasn't really super involved offensively and the reason why I say that is because a lot of times guys who kind of have the talent to be really effective offensively but but don't have the ball quite as much or don't play make quite as much can tune out on can tune out on defense. And I don't, and, and Vassell obviously was not, not one of those guys, um, yeah. always stayed locked in on defense and, and just flies around, makes plays all over, all over the floor. He's got absolutely mammoth arms, um, in the sense that they're just, his wingspan is six ten, but it looks like it's seven five, <laughs> um, yeah. just, just because he's so skinny, I think, but, um, but yeah, can can switch pretty much one through four, which is what you need. Can can kind of get manhandled in the post a little bit by by bigger players, but um, but kind of switching down, I think, is more so what Rosas and company are looking for in a potential three or four guy. Yeah, um, for sure. And the three point shooting is there, which is which is really big. He he made a huge jump in terms of how much better of a shooter he became off the dribble from. Uh, from year one to year two, and uh, I think that I think that you know being able to translate that to, to the catch and shoot opportunities from from deep, I think would be huge, and I think is something that that I definitely buy stock in. Um, but but doesn't really have elite burst or athleticism off the dribble, which I think can limit him. But considering the fact that he has really good footwork and has such a high release, kind of reminds me of Kawhi a little bit, especially in in handoff situations and, and kind of curl screen actions um, did a really good job kind of getting to the mid range and, and getting to his spot and firing kind of with side fadeaways and, and stuff like that is there are all plays that are really useful for, for a guy of his size. Um, and, you know, I really wonder if, <laughs> if you asked him how much he watches Kawhi Leonard, I'd be interested to hear his answer because that's kind of the guy who Vassell reminds me of obviously a very, very light version, but um but I think he could be a day one starter with the three or the four. Uh, he'd be really fun to watch next to a Kogi on defense, just because I think those two would, would make life a living hell for opposing wings. Yeah. Um, and and I think he's a really good off-ball PNR player on defense in the sense he's really good at, at kind of digging and sticking uh, into the lane uh, on the drive and can also kind of, you know, tag tag rollers if a, if a big is like getting back and and just is really aware on defense and, and a guy that, that I think there there is no better fit for for the Minnesota Timberwolves in this draft than than Devin Vassell and I'd feel comfortable drafting him first overall completely agree um you know probably you know people who have followed along with the podcast or or with me on Twitter know that I am a huge Devin Vassell fan I, I really do think like you said that that he's the best fit with Minnesota in this draft a really good three-point shooter, shot uh, 41% on catch and shoot this year, 38% off the dribble. He's just he's got that one dribble pull up after a pump fake. He's also got, like you said, the, the side steps and the step backs in the mid-range, even a little bit of a, 
a post fadeaway here here and there. He's just a an awesome defender. I don't think he's he's. I mean, I think I'm selling. I guess Okoro short a little bit here because Okoro is another extremely good defender. I mean, I was just I just got finished watching uh, Iowa State versus Auburn and. Tyrese Halliburton Such had had the worst time dealing with Isaac Okoro, and that's a guy who can probably play the four in in some systems. Okoro, and he's guarding Halliburton, who's you know widely renowned as as a point guard, albeit a, a pretty big one. But I think he can guard one through four very easily. Okoro, and probably on the ball is is better than Vassell, but I think. Off 100%. ball, I think off ball team defense is more important than than point of attack defense, even on especially this team. at the three. Yeah, and on this team as well, I think you've got um, Josh Okoro, who's kind of the opposite. He's kind of more like Okoro, how he um really good point of attack defender, and, and not you know the, the his biggest strength doesn't lie off the ball. Whereas Vassell's the opposite. Like you said, he's just really good from the nail. Uh, really good rotation defender. He gets a lot of blocks despite being, you know, a shooting guard, small forward, power forward, wherever you want to put him at that, one of those three spots. But just a really good shot blocker. He's got great hands. Like you said, those those 19-foot arms kind of just seem to cover everywhere on the floor and, and always seem to get a hand on the ball at, at the perfect time. In that respect, he reminds me a little bit of, of Robert Covington, the way Covington kind of could always just swipe down on the ball and seem to never get called for the foul. Always just just get a hand on the ball and, and just delay, you know, kind of disrupt the shot just that little bit and make them miss or, or knock a ball off someone's leg and out of bounds. I just think there's a, there's a lot to love about Devin Vassell. I, I'm not sure if his upside is, you know, star, like all-star, but it's definitely like really, really good Fox. role player. Yeah, like if if that shot creation off the dribble goes to another level, which I do think it can, um, I think yeah, he's definitely like a borderline all star at his best and playing on both ends. So that's it's a really really good pick for me. If they end up getting Vassell. Yeah, and I think the other important thing to note too is, despite the fact that the Wolves are going to have a top seven pick in this draft, that doesn't mean that you need to get a guy that's going to automatically be a star. I think that. Yeah. There, there might be no stars, no true stars that come out of this draft. And if you can, and if you can select a guy that for ten years is going to be a really solid star in his role and what you need him to do, uh, then then you can mark that down as a really successful draft pick. And I think that both of these guys would would be that. I, I think that these are two guys who are going to have uh, very happy homes for for a long time at the next level. And I think that just because of the different skills that he has specifically the specifically the three point shooting i think Vassell fits better but holy hell man having isaac okoro and josh okogi on the floor at the same time playing defense <laughs> would be i think it, if if there's basketball heaven i think that that is my version of basketball heaven is just watching two guys that are crazy athletic love to roll up the shorts get in your jock, slap the floor, let them know you're there, and, and just clamp up on defense um, are players that I love watching. And I think that they find ways to really impact the game without needing the ball in their hands a ton on offense or just jacking threes. And uh, Okoro, I think Okoro is probably the best cutter in this draft and yeah. probably my favorite guy to watch at or above the rim just because he absolutely 
annihilates people at the rim, dunks over people, uh, dunks through people, finishes through people. It can just contort his body in absurd ways at the rim to finish through contact. Um, and 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 some is a guy that I think is going to be able to do that right away at the NBA level, just because he's so crazy athletic. And I'm I'm actually more of a guy that I think believes in Okoro's shooting touch, just because. I think he knows that he really has to get better at that if he wants to be able to to play more at the rim in the sense that uh, he's got to be able to attack closeouts to get to the rim just because he's not hyper-explosive off the bounce just because he doesn't have an, a, a great handle. Uh, but if he can tighten up his handle to become a better, or to have a better first step, I think he'd become a, a force to be reckoned with with the ball in his hands offensively, especially, especially if he was going up against a smaller two guard. Um, but, but yeah, I think Vassell, Vassell is the play here just because of, just because of the things that, that we've laid out. Yeah. I think that it's, it's strange with those two because they're kind of almost similar prospects in one way, because they're kind of this, this very dynamic defensively, you know, wing who can, who can guard up a spot or, or down a spot on, on defense. But then in another way, they're very, they're very opposite where, where Okoro has really struggled from from three this year. I think, um, just let me pull up the numbers. I think he shot about 24% on catch and shoots. Um, so, sorry, 27% on catch and shoots. 24, oh no, 24%, sorry, on catch and shoots. 27% off the dribble. Just not, not a great three-point shooter. Like you said, I think the touch around the rim um, encourages me that, that he could end up being a, a, a passable shooter at at worst and I think that's all he needs to be to kind of really you know make his game shine but he like you said I think he's a really good slasher he when when he does get those advantages like when he does when the defense does close out a bit too hard or when he does get the the pass off the bounce kind of and he can explode to the rim off off two steps off you know one dribble two dribbles uh he's a really good finisher around the rim 80th percentile in in transition 64% 64% around the rim this season. So, like you said, can contort his body in, in a, a load of different ways, finish with both hands, really strong. He can finish over you if you if you give him the chance as well. So, I really like Koro. Definitely nothing um, kind of against him by not picking him. But, yeah, Devin Vassell is, is my favorite player in the draft. So, I was always going to pick him. But if either of those guys fall to Minnesota on draft night, I think um, I'll be a pretty happy man. Right. And the one thing I just want to note about Okoro is like his, sh- I don't think his shot form is really that far off. I just think it's, it's really light tweaking that, that needs to go into it. Cause it, it's smooth. It's compact. He's not really shooting it from a, a bad spot. Um, but, but yeah, it, you know, I, I hope to see it happen just cause I think he's going to be one of my favorite rookies to watch, but uh, but yeah, I, I don't really envision the Timberwolves the Timberwolves picking him solely because uh, they probably don't view him as a as a guy who can come in and shoot the three right away. Uh, and considering you already have Josh Okogie and, and Jarrett Culver, it probably doesn't make a ton of sense. But um, but he's a guy that I think if you bet on him, you'll be you'll be really happy with the results. Yeah, I think um, I think he would definitely add a lot to the defense. But it's one way to kind of. And you know, tick off the fan base, especially the the more casual kind of fans, by drafting another guy who can't shoot because 
they do drive fans crazy at times. Like, I know Akogi does a lot of good things, but, you know, the narrative is always going to be he can't shoot. And Jared Culver's the exact same, so... You're not going to get yeah. me to say a negative thing about, about Josh Kogi. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just not doing it. No, not and doing you, it. Never and, you know, it. this is the Josh Kogi Stan podcast, always will be, especially after all the good work he did in the community as well this, this offseason. So we're going to cut the, the Josh Kogi slander short right now, and we'll jump straight into the next one. Um, so Kyra Lewis or Tyrese Maxey, another two point guards? I might catch some shade for this, but I don't care. Um, I am starting the Kira Lewis Hive. Um, I want to <laughs> just make it grow as big as possible, and and just and just get mad at anybody that disagrees with me. Um, you look at him, and I think he might have the highest ceiling of anybody in the draft. Ooh, hot take. And the reason why I say that is because. He might be like the fastest guy I've ever seen at the college level not named Russell Westbrook. Yeah. He he's in, he's incredibly explosive from anywhere on the floor. Um and and he's a really really good finisher at the rim. He has incredible control of his body when he's in the air and and trying to navigate around defenders. Uh but sometimes he just goes too fast for his own good. Um but I think the fact that you know, it's a guy who is still learning how to most effectively use his body uh, to blow by people. I think that's something that'll definitely work itself out as he plays more minutes, uh, especially in a more up-tempo style of game at the NBA level. Uh, and his, his catch-and-shoot numbers are absolutely incredible for a point guard who played on the ball a, a really good amount uh, this year. And hold on, let me just... Here, super quick. Um, yeah, catch and shoot numbers 41%, uh, 61.9% effective field goal percentage. That was good for 89th percentile in the NCAA this yeah. year. And even off the dribble, um, 35% and 46% effective field goal percentage for, for the 79th percentile. So he's a very, very capable shooter. And I think the off dribble shooting in his form when he does so uh, is something that I completely buy and think will we'll only get better at the next level. Uh, he's got insane lateral agility, and, he, and he's a really smart player on defense. Uh, his handle can be kind of loose at times, but again, that's just simple skill development that I think will will continue to get better at the NBA level. And, and the really only two weaknesses I had here were out of control at times and somewhat loose handle. And I think mm-hmm. if those are your two weaknesses, I think that those are both very those are both very correctable and and very easy to to be patient with. Um, with a with a rookie point guard, um, and I think he would be a great point guard for the second unit, just to really set the tempo and push the pace. Um, I think that playing alongside a guy like Jarrett Culver would be fun for him, just because those are two guys that I think like to get out and run and, and are effective players in transition. Um, but he'd also he'd also fit really really well with D'Angelo with D'Angelo Russell. I mean, you think about what Jordan McLaughlin is good at. He's really quick with his first step, can get into the lane and then can dish out to D'Lo for three um, or just put pressure on the defense that allows D'Lo to, to go to work uh, more easily. And I think that he would also fit really, really well with uh, with Carl Anthony Towns in the pick and roll just because, um, you know, you get a guy like Cat who has such a wide body that can set really good screens. I think all Kira Lewis needs is, is even the slightest of windows to blow by somebody yeah. uh, and, and get to the rim. 
and, and if you give him any bit of space, he's gone. And I think that two, if if you had him as a backup, he would just be dynamic as hell. And there's just no real backup point guard that I think that would be able to stay in front of him and would just be something that would be really fun to watch. And I could see him, I could see him averaging 15 points per game off the bench just because he blows by everybody and can make open threes. And this team, I think there's a lot of really likable role players that come off the bench, but they they haven't, and they and they haven't for a long time had that player that that can kind of really lead the second unit. I mean, we both love Jordan McLaughlin and uh, you know Jared Culver if he's in the second unit, but having a, a point guard who can, like you said, set the tempo, give you ten to fifteen a night, hit threes, kind of really be the the focal point in a, in a bench unit can really help because you see those. Those lineups when when Towns and Russell and Beasley are all off the floor that kind of just collapse into nothing immediately, and that's not because the the role players aren't good role players, but it's because sometimes you really need yeah a focal point, a, a fulcrum offensively to to give you that stability. And I think Lewis could definitely be that. I I really do uh, agree with you there. Although I did choose Tyrese Maxey because I'm really high on Maxey compared to to most. Um, so they're both I, really fun to watch. Yeah, and I think they're both kind of undersized uh, point guards or, or, or off-ball kind of guards. Like uh, Lewis is more of an on-ball guard, but I think Maxi played a lot off the ball at Kentucky. He he had to compete with for touches with with Ashton Hagens and and Emmanuel Quickly, who are both I guess probably even point guards themselves as well. So Maxi, I think the thing that pushes me over the line is. A kind of a theme here for my, for the whole podcast, but is the defensive side of the ball with Maxi. It's just a really, really good defender for a guy who's six foot three, two hundred pounds. He just seems to be able to fly through screens really well on the ball. So aware off the ball, he's not really a a defensive playmaker. I guess you won't really see him him getting a lot of steals or, or you know making those those big hustle plays. But he just seems to never actually do anything wrong. Um, he ranked in the the 83rd percentile overall on defense, which I know can be a bit uh, iffy on synergy, but I think the number, the eye test really backs up those numbers. And then offensively, he's not done. I don't think anyone is kind of um, playing at the same pace that, that Kira, uh, Kyra Lewis is, but he's still really fast, Maxi. Yeah. Really, really nice first step. Really good finisher around the rim. He he can he does those uh those up and under reverse layups and kind of contort his body around big defenders really well because he's not athletic enough to finish over or through you know the the big trees at, at the rim. But he does a really nice job of going around them. And then he's got a really nice float. I don't think anyone you know maybe in in the country shot as many floaters as Tyrese Maxey. Right. And, uh, he converted what was so thirty nine point one percent of the runners according to synergy, but that's a pretty good number for floaters. I mean, if you look around the NBA, you probably find that no one's converting floaters, you know, ab- above fifty percent. So it's kind of the forty to fifty is where you want to be. And he shot sixty two of them for the season, which is really a really high number. You know, to, to a game around that, you don't really see that in college. So I'm pretty high on Maxi. I think he could be. Um, that same kind of 15, 15 point scorer off the bench or or alongside D'Angelo Russell, I just think that the the defense is what um, pushed me towards his side a little bit more, just because 
on this team. Obviously, the the, the big point is defense. The 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 big hole in the team is the ability to to capably defend and to and to lift that defensive rating to a point where that's not you know bottom of the league, and then the offense can kind of uh, kind of drag them along. So Maxi's my pick, but but only just. Yeah, and I think too the thing that kind of makes me iffy about Maxi is that he has point guard size. He's really small for a two guard. Yeah. Um, but but he he can't really make plays on the ball, and he really struggles to to create off the dribble for himself, and just doesn't really have that many dribble moves. From what I saw, would would run into trouble trying to make. You know, yeah, he definitely passes because he he got into tough situations. Yeah, he definitely relies um, on um on that that first step and that speed to get to the rim. He doesn't really have many many counter moves or or like you said right. moves to to get himself open. Yeah, and I think because of that, it I, I think that it's harder for that to translate to the next level. Um, and I I do think he has a really nice shot for him. I don't really understand outside of just sometimes poor shot selection why more of his shots didn't go in. Yeah. Um. And I think that he'll be a much better shooter in the NBA than he was in college. But I think you know if you can get D'Lo to guard a two and have Tyrese Maxey be your point of attack defender, um, or or have that on the bench where like Jared Jared Culver guards the two and 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 Tyrese Maxey guards the one, but then the roles are reversed on offense. I think you can make that work. Uh, yeah. But I just don't really see Tyrese Maxey um, being a great off-ball defender, uh, especially if he's guarding somebody that's bigger than him. Uh, or not not off-ball, excuse me, just like wing defender um, with a guy that's bigger than him, just because I think guys could go through him. Um, but, but you know, if you find a way to, to just have him be your point of attack defender, I think that he'd be really, really effective uh, at the next level. Uh, it's just the the offense is is, is where I, I differ between him and Kira. I think that Kira's got really translatable speed, um, as well as moves to be able to get to the rim, and the uh, passing as well. Correct. I think that I think that he's further along as a passer, and obviously has, has spent more time as a primary playmaker. Um, and I think he's got a higher ceiling as a shooter as well. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, it was really the offensive side that, that sold me just because I think that the Kira, I think he's got to bulk up. Um, I'm, I, I, the last time I checked, I think he was listed as a, at a, at 165 pounds, which is pretty small for a point guard, but you know, get him in an NBA strength and conditioning program and, and hopefully we see some results there. Um, so I, I mean, it, it's really just splitting hair is kind of, it's, it's, I, I think that Kira's offensive uh, kind of offensive different or the difference between Kira's offense and Tyrese Maxey's offense is big enough for me to a point where I, I like, I think it's bigger than the gap between the two of them on defense, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think like, like you said, you, you're splitting hairs and uh, you kind of, you know, if you, if you're looking for a more dynamic offensive player, you're going to go with Lewis. If you're looking for a guy who you think can probably guard point guards a bit better, you don't go with Maxi. So, like I said, I think they're both. I think Maxi's top ten for me. Lewis is probably just outside the top ten. I think you could probably reverse those, you know, on the board, and I still wouldn't wouldn't scoff at it. So, either way, I'd be pretty happy with either of those two guys. I, I tweeted out today, and I know Dane Moore has said similar things that if Minnesota um, are going to take three bites of the apple, 
in the draft with, with their first pick, Brooklyn's point pick, and a point guard's going to be one. There's just so many point guards in the, in this draft. So that's, you know, I wouldn't hold your breath on Jordan McLaughlin returning with a big role, but I think he'll probably come back as the third stringer at least, or maybe a an off-ball, yeah, I think an off-ball be- guard. Yeah, and I think that the Timberwolves are going to need three point guards on the roster just because I think they're really going to want to utilize D'Angelo Russell off the ball. Uh, and yeah. in order to do that, I don't think that you can only have two point guards. I think you need a third point guard. And I think that I think the two of those guys, D'Lo and, and J-Mac, just displayed such synergy offensively last year. And, and the, the on-off splits with those guys and, and some of the ratings and numbers that they put up were absolutely absurd. Um, so I envision that J-Mac will be back and will be the point guard that probably plays more with D'Angelo Russell than, than whomever else that, that second point guard might be. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, if, if Tyrese is able to really develop more as a, as, a, as a playmaker, I think that he would be a really, really fun uh, backup point guard to have. And, and not, he's not a guy where if we draft him, I, I would be upset by that at all. Um, yeah. But right now, just, just hold on to your pants here. Uh, I have Kira Lewis in at five. Whew. Yeah, I have, Ma- I have Maxi at, right at seven, so, so I have Maxi yeah. at seven, so that and, might be kind of the same kind of hot take level. And I'm still not super set on my board from really eight eight to fifteen. Um, is kind of where I'm just struggling, just because I, I I'm still in the process of watching some more of the guys that could fill out the rest of that. But um, and Maxi is is one of those guys that I want to watch more from a draft lens. Um, cause yeah. I spent a lot of time watching Kentucky games this year, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I, I wonder if my, if my opinion might change there as we, uh, as we go on in the off season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same with, with Lewis. I think, um, he's one of the guys that I've kind of spent a little bit of time on, but I haven't spent enough time to, that's why I kind of just let you, let you go there because, uh, I don't have, my opinion of him isn't fully informed enough where, where I feel comfortable kind of making uh, sweeping declarations about him. Right. Move on and, and to to now two guys who uh, <laughs> who I think, like you said, we're just gonna let the other one go because we both have yeah yeah. So so Tyrell Terry or Desmond Bain. Um. So I just want to preface this by saying that when it comes to these two players, um, I'm extremely biased here. I went to high school with Ty. Um, he's a good friend of mine, and, and I've spent a lot of time with him over the last over really the last six seven years. Um. So, so I, I want to get that out of the way, but, um, but yeah, so I, I, I am going to go with Ty and the reason why I'm going to go with Ty, um, is just because I think that Ty is such a dynamic shooter. I think he's probably the second best shooter in the draft, um, behind Aaron Neesmith. Uh, but I, I think, think there's, can, I think you can make a case that he's, that he's better. Yeah. I, and you know, what, whichever way you want to go, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue with you on it. Um, but I, I just think. He, he, the shot form that he has is absolutely incredible um, and was just an incredibly efficient player, especially when they used him in different ways coming off screens or in handoff actions. Um, yeah. he, he was just really, really effective. And, and as a guy that's that's pretty small, he's like 6'2", 165, um, still still scored really, really effectively in the, in the isolation. I think he's got, got to improve his handle at the next level, just keep it tighter so he can, he can you know, Use more fundamentally sound, um, and, and, and use more fundamentally sound dribbling to, to kind of build off that and and and, uh, and kind of learn and, and develop more advanced dribbling uh, moves that he can use to get by guys because he's not the fastest guy in the world. Um, 
but I don't. It doesn't matter if there's a guy right in his face or not. If he's behind the three point line and he's got to look at the basket, there's a pretty damn good chance it's going in. Ninety um, ninth percentile in catch and shoot opportunities. He shot fifty percent in catch and shoot opportunities yeah. with an effective field goal percentage of seventy five percent. Most guys who uh, most guys who are rim runners don't even have DFGs of 75%. I don't even think Rodrigo <laughs> yeah. had an effective field goal percentage of 75%, let alone a point guard who was forced to kind of be the entire offense from his team night to night uh, because there were, there were a lot of nights where, where players on or his teammates just did not show up and help him out. But the yeah. two things that I want to point out about Ty that I think people don't really realize enough are, one, but he's actually a really, really skilled finisher around the rim for a guy his size. Yeah, uh, he, I had that here as well. Yeah, he showed that he could he could really contort his body in a, in a bunch of different ways to finish around guys, and he's got an incredible touch around the rim. Uh, he shot 62% from, from around the basket on non-post-ups, and that's 79th percentile in, in all of the NCAA. So that's not even taking into account his size or how small he is in terms of his, his frame. Um, just a really skilled finisher and has a really amazing touch around the rim uh, for, for a guy his size. And, and the other thing I wanted to point out, too, is his passing. He, he's made some really high-level passes and has really solid offensive court vision. Um, I think that both of those can improve, but also he, he's just a freshman this year, and I think that vision is something that I think takes time to develop. And excuse me, if there's guys who at a young age can, can make high-level passes – uh, I think that that's something that's really great to be able to work off of uh, just because, you know, as you start to develop a better feel for the game, once you get more time in the NBA, the vision is going to come. The IQ is going to come, especially if you're a point guard. Um, and so I, I'm just excited to see that part of, of Ty's game grow along with the ball handling, because once those two things come in, uh, I think that he's going to really be able to put pressure on defenses uh, regardless of how much weight he, he does or does not add, uh, just because he, he's not going to blow by people. Uh, so he's going to have to rely on dribbling moves, kind of like what Trey Young does. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and on defense, people keep talking about how he's just going to get attacked, attacked, attacked on defense. Yeah, I think that'll happen. I think that he'll get singled out. But all of his metrics defensively, especially isolation defensively, he was 84th percentile in isolation defense. Um, on a, on a pretty significant sample size. So I think, I think that's going to be, that's kind of going to be the ultimate uh, kind of factor in what determines how, how far he'll really go in the NBA is, um, is how well he can defend with, with his frame. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I fully agree on all those points. And like you said, um, I, I just let you go on that. Cause I know, I know you really know Terry's game and, I have spent a bit of time, a fair bit of time watching him, but but I definitely um you know cede to you as the the more experienced watcher of Tyrell Terry. Like you said, I think he's a a, a really obviously just a great shooter. I think uh, Terry Bain and and Neesmith are um the best three shooters in this class pretty comfortably for me. I honestly yep. think you could almost make it a, an argument for either one of them at num- at number one. Um which is probably similar to what I'm going to do right now because I went with Desmond Bain. I'm a huge Desmond Bain fan. I, I think he'll definitely return lottery value at some point if a team can get him. If Minnesota can get him in the second round, I'd love um, that. He, I, think, I think he's comfortably a top 20 prospect for me, probably closer to, to 15 
Um, just just going back to the shots, obviously, um, the, the synergy numbers aren't everything, but I thought I'd just kind of compare the two um, just in jump shots, I guess, for, for synergy. Uh, sport up shooting, Bain 91st percentile and Terry 61st percentile. Um, when I when I seen some of these these Tyrell Terry numbers, I thought this almost doesn't match up with the 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 eye test because I never felt like Tyrell Terry wasn't the best shooter on the court at all times. So I'm gonna preface it with that. But yeah, so Bain 91st percentile, Terry 61st in spot ups. In all jump shots, that's obviously um, two-pointers as well included. Bain in the 89th percentile, Terry in the 76th percentile. Catch and shoot, like you said, Terry was 99th percentile, crazy numbers. Uh, Bain was 77th. Off the dribble, Bain was 92nd percentile and Terry was 50th. I think that's where the difference between the two is. Like Bain is a really good pull-up shooter, I think. Yep. 100%. Definitely, I think, and that's where the differences with Neesmith as well is. Bain is probably for me the best pull up shooter in the in the draft, and then long twos, which of which I think in college more so with players who who don't shoot threes very well. But I think long twos are a good thing to to examine when it comes to to touch and kind of if they can extend their range a bit. But I thought I'd throw it in there anyway. Uh, long twos, Bain sixty ninth percentile, Terry eighteenth percentile, which again I thought was a little bit low because. He didn't take too many of them, but he, he right. I never felt like he couldn't shoot them. But yeah. there's the numbers. The the reason I have Bain is because I think he I think the size is the first thing. I mean Great he's obvi- he's obviously not a point guard, I don't think. I think he's more of a two and maybe even uh like a small a small three. He's six foot five, two hundred and fifteen. He he's built like a, a brick house. He looks like a little boulder just running around out there. Uh, very good team defender. Again, a bit like Tyrese Maxey, I think, how he's not going to make a lot of defensive plays. He's not going to wow you in, in a in a Josh Akogi style of defense, but he's just solid as a rock. He he knows hard where his man is. Yeah, hard to yeah, hard to move him. He knows where his man is. He's very aware. He does get into the passing lanes a little bit. He's not the greatest on the ball because he's he's not great laterally, but then you look at the, the synergy numbers again, 99th percentile as an isolation defender. So while I don't think he's he's that kind of lockdown defender, it clearly shows that he can hold his own on the ball, I think. And then uh, I don't think he's a better passer than Tyrell Terry, but I think he's still really good at the drive and kick. He, he attacks closeouts really well, draws in the defense and hits the man in the corner or hits the roller in pick and roll. I think he's just like a, a very... Solid passer. He, he's not going to do much wrong. He's not going to bite off more than he can chew. He's just one of them players who's just really high IQ, I think. And then, obviously, on top of that, he, he just shoots the hell out of the ball and from from anywhere, deep range, off off the dribble, handoffs, you know, spot up, the whole the whole kit and caboodle. So, Bain, yeah, really, really like Bain. Really like Terry as well. I just think for, for Minnesota... Bain not only fits a need at the wing and as a shooter, but I think he can kind of hold his own a bit more defensively and, and play multiple positions, which is obviously very important in Gerson Rose's system. Yeah, and I think, too, the fact that, that Desmond Bain, too, can play above the rim in the sense that he's athletic as, he's athletic as hell and can, and can dunk yeah. on people, and, and that's something that he's really got going for him, too. I think he's definitely a better athlete than Ty is. Um, and the other I thing, think- too, that... Go ahead. I think Terry's a better finisher around the rim. Sorry, I just had that down here. Terry, like you said, 
he finishes really well around the rim, but at six foot one, one sixty, I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to get to the rim unless it's kind of off cuts yeah, and stuff. So 100%. I think, and Bane isn't a very good finisher around the rim, except like you said, when he, when he's going over people, but he he doesn't have really good burst to get to the rim. He he tends to to end up with little fadeaway layups and stuff rather than than really putting his head down and, and attacking. But I think at the next level they might kind of balance out as about even at the rim just because I'm I'm worried about how much Terry can get there. Yeah, and I think too that's why I I talked about the fact that I think Ty really has to tighten his handle just to be able to get by people. I yeah. think that he's going to be a guy who's going to be really good at, at changing pace and using deception and head fakes and shot fakes to uh to really get guys up in the air and get to the rim and I think that he'll he'll have the skill to be able to do it. Maybe not right away from day 1, but again, it's not necessarily just about how good a guy is going to be right away. Uh, yeah. I think if you were asking both these players to step in right away, I think I would probably rather have Desmond Bain. And he's uh, 22 just, compared to, to exactly, Tyrell Terry's that, nine, that 19. Next, so. That was the next thing I was just going to mention, is the fact um, that, that, that the two are very different ages. Um, and I think that if, if we were talking about Ty three years from now, um, I think that... Probably think a better player. Probably be a different conversation. Yeah. Um, but again, I think the Wolves are a team that, that does need help at the point guard spot or, or kind of the secondary playmaking spot right away. And it's a, it's obviously a huge plus if, if any player is able to do that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think obviously defense is important as well. And, you know, I think Ty's got really good hands and really good timing, which I think kind of <laughs> might, might have boosted his defensive numbers just just in in terms of how how many deflections he he had and and uh, and how many times he poked the ball loose, but but yeah, I, I think you know everything you said about Bain makes sense from what I've seen of him. I've probably only seen one game of his. Um, I watched uh, I watched the TCU game. I think it was against Baylor, um, and uh, and, and liked what I saw. So I, I mean, he's definitely a guy that, that I want to watch more. But but like you said, a guy who I I would firmly put in the top twenty um, just because of the the skills that he has, I think, are the ones that you're looking for in terms of, uh, you know, frontline skills, being a being a solid on-ball defender and being a guy who can shoot the, shoot the hell out of the ball. So, so two, two, two guys that, that I think are you're going to get wildly different results and answers if you ask other people about, but, but two guys yeah. that I'm really excited to see where they go because I think if, if they go to the wrong team, they could be flops. Yeah. But if they go to the right teams, I think they could both, especially Ty, I think could be really, really, really good. Thoroughly so. agree. Thoroughly agree with that. I think Terry, Terry especially, has got the the kind of put him on a bad team or, or put him on a team that can't use him properly and, and it could go, go south pretty quickly. But you put him, I think, especially on a good team. I mean, um, Max Carlin and, and Ben Ben Pfeiffer, they... um. They do the 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 prep to pro podcast. Yep. If, you, really if anyone's listening, oh, really good and probably the best draft podcast out there. But they did the the mock draft, and um, Terry went to to Denver, and I think that's just a, like a perfect fit for him, somewhere where he can play off the ball, which I think he could in Minnesota as well. He can play. Cat's gonna still have the ball a lot. I know we talked a lot about these point guards playing off the ball with Russell, but we I think we kind of forget that that Towns is still gonna play in that five out offense uh, as the guy who can create from the top of the key as well. And, and that'd give Terry, you know, a lot of handoffs, a lot of like time to cut. He, he's a much better finisher at the rim. I think he, if he can cut rather than have to create the, the driving lane himself. And 
I think he, I still think, yeah, Terry, like, I think even now I feel almost closer to Terry than, than Bane just because um, the fit seems really well. Uh, I'm still a massive Desmond Bane fan, but around Towns and Russell and leading a second unit in that same way that, that we said with Kyra Lewis and stuff, I think Terry could be a really dynamic player in Minnesota. Yeah, and I think it was unfortunate that he was the best player on his Stanford team um, just because it was always him always having to elevate the guys around him. Yeah. Um, and I think he is a guy that, that definitely makes all four all four other guys on the floor better the second he steps on the floor just because he's a really really good playmaker, and if you're open, he's going to find you and deliver you a good pass and, and put you in a position to score. But, um, but I think, too, you know, if he runs the second unit, I think – I think you'd just be a lot more comfortable because I think there would be more trust in the guys that he's playing with to yeah. to finish. And I think that, you know, there were some games where Ty ended up having to just force stuff because I think he, he might have lost trust in in his teammates a little bit to, to finish and, and to make shots, which is which is understandable when uh when it can be a one man band sometimes. Yeah. Um but but yeah, I think Denver is a team that I would love, but the two the two teams that I would I would really keep an eye on um, are Philadelphia especially, and yep. uh, Milwaukee as well. Milwaukee is Oof. one team, yeah. and then and then the other team I was going to mention, um, OKC are three teams that I know um, I know are, are very interested. Yeah, he, he'd be really fun in Milwaukee. Really fun. Yeah, in Milwaukee. I think he's going to go. I think he's going to go mid to late twenties. Um, yeah, I think but, he's going to be kind of in that range where Minnesota might rip be. A, be a reach for him at 16, but there's probably no chance he's there at 33. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. As his friend, I hope he gets drafted as, as high as possible for, so he can secure the bag and, and live (laughs) his life. Um, but from a basketball perspective, I I almost think that, you know, it's not a bad thing if he gets drafted kind of later on in the first round, just because I, I think situation, he's one of those guys where I think situation can totally shift his ceiling and floor yeah um we'll get into the last pair now so uh Sadiq Bay or Patrick Williams all right so this one was tough just because I again I don't really think there's not I like I don't really think there's a wrong answer here um just because I think both guys would would be admirable fits in in, uh, in, in the Minnesota system in terms of, you know, what they need and the hole they need to fill at the four. Yeah. Um, but, but I went with Patrick Williams here. Yeah. Um, the, re- the reason I went with Patrick Williams is because of his, his team and off-ball defense, I think, is absolutely incredible. He's one of those guys where the second you turn on the game and you start kind of just watching the game generally, he just pops out at you. He's just flying all over the floor, making plays, jumping in passing lanes, you know, blocking shots off the backboard disrupting shots, tagging guys and, and digging in, in the pick and roll and recovering to make crazy plays on defense, um, yeah. throwing down ridiculous alley-oops above the rim, uh, just just sticks out. And, and the other thing that, that I think is, is really going to be a key development in Patrick Williams' game is his uh, kind of as a secondary creator from the four spot. Uh, yeah. And, and the pick and roll will be will be really huge. He he did a he did a, a really great job of that this year at Florida State, um, and, and was something that, that I didn't really expect from Patrick Williams when I when I first turned on 
turned on a couple of games, um, shifting from watching kind of Devin Vassell to, to Patrick Williams, uh, was as the ball handler in the pick and roll ranked in the 90th percentile, um, which was really interesting. Uh, and he spent more time as a, as a pick and roll initiator than he did as a role man in the pick and roll. Um, which is interesting for a guy that's that's his size and plays kind of the four slash five spot, isn't something you see too much in college basketball. But the credit Leonard Williams, I mean, he keeps cranking out these long, lanky six ten ish guys, um, and and it's just really fun to see. And and I hope for for Patrick Williams' sake that that he'll be able to kind of continue in the mold that that Jonathan Isaac has set out. I mean, obviously he's not going to be that level of, of defender, but, but can kind of play the same role in the sense that he's just flying around the floor and you feel him every time he's out there. I think he'd be a great fit next to cat. Um, he's kind of got an inconsistent stroke, but, um, but, you know, I think that'll develop more. I just don't think he's shot enough. And I think having basketball be your full-time job where you can just get in the gym and shoot, 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 shoot. Um, what will be huge for him. And if, and I, and I, I'm confident that that three will, that three will develop. Um, but yeah, really, really key sell points. There are his, his defensive versatility and, and the, then the potential to be a secondary playmaker on offense. Yep. I, I completely agree. Uh, I went with Williams as well. Um, pretty comfortably as well for me. I think, like you said, he just contributes in multiple areas. Great weak side defender, really good shot blocker. He's a physical monster for an 18-year-old. I mean, he's the youngest American player in the draft, and he is built like a you know mid-20s kind of player. He's he's pretty slow laterally as, as a defender on the perimeter, but I think that'll get better as he kind of uh, learns to use you know his big body a bit better because he's really athletic in, in every other way. He, he runs the floor like a guard. Like you said, he can he can play a bit out of pick and roll, so he's very coordinated with, with his hands and his feet. He, I think he's like you said, I think pretty inconsistent as a shooter, but I'd be pretty surprised if he's not a passable shooter at the next level at some point, and maybe even uh, you know an above average three point shooter. I really do like his stroke. The the passing out of the pick and roll is really good, and and the way he kind of sits in the dunker spot as that that traditional kind of athletic big. I just think all-around game, Williams might have... I think if he puts it all together, Patrick Williams might have almost the highest potential in the whole draft. I think he kind of gives me a little bit of, like, Paul Millsap vibes as a, you know, as a high-end kind of... Um, that's high-end. That's <laughs> that's funny. I had the exact same... I had the exact same player comp written down. <laughs> yeah, um, and I don't love player comps, but he just kind of... The way Millsap does everything and, and kind of isn't isn't absolutely excellent at anything, but just really good at everything. Yeah, exactly. Just really solid. Um, yeah. I, I kind of had it. Go ahead. I'm not huge on Bay. I was going to say, like, I, I obviously the 45% from three on, on good volume. I think his numbers are pretty good defensively, but every time I watch him, I, I feel underwhelmed with his defense. I think he, he doesn't fly through screens very well. Especially he, switching down. Yeah, I think he's more of a four at the at the next level rather rather than a three. But I don't think he's. I think the archetype of of three and D wing is kind of kind of put on him. But I don't buy the defense as much, and I don't buy much else of his game. I mean, he's quite crafty around the rim and a pretty good finisher around the rim, but it's not very bursty. Doesn't really get to the rim very easily. 
Villanova run a lot of those those post ups for their wings or, or for their 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 fours and fives, and he got a lot of those. And you can guarantee that that he's not going to get pretty much any post ups at all at the next level, especially not not in Minnesota system. So that pushed me more towards Williams. But but either way, I'm very high on Williams. He he's a top twelve player for me in this draft. Yeah, I think I have him in at ten right now. Um, but but that's a malleable malleable opinion. Um. Yeah, and, and I kind of agree with Bay. I think Bay Bay's offense I think will translate to the next level just because he doesn't really blow by people. He just really knows how to he knows how to use his body and his frame to create leverage yeah, and, and sure. kind of get going downhill and finishing at the rim. He's a really solid finisher. Uh, he's kind of what I like to call a synergy superstar. Yeah, in the sense that if you look at all of his offensive synergy numbers, they're absolutely out of this world good. Uh, but the things that I think will translate the most for him is, is the fact that he's a great cutter and he's great catching the ball and curling off screens uh, just because obviously defenses respect the fact that he's a really good three-point shooter and has a really quick release, which I think benefits him a ton. Uh, but but players that are able to, to kind of weaponize the release, not to shoot threes, but to, to get going off the dribble and, and get by guys is really yeah. important, especially for somebody like Bay who who isn't the greatest athlete in the world. So if he can continue to do those things at, at the NBA level, I think that he'll be solid. Uh, but like you said, I, I doubt his ability to switch down too much. Um, he's not super agile laterally, but again, who knows? NBA strength and conditioning, guys can get faster and stronger and, and quicker. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. So, so who knows? I think Sadiq Bey is a guy who probably has a pretty high floor in the sense that I, I really don't doubt the fact that he'll be a solid role player in his career, but yeah. I also don't think he has that high of a ceiling because I don't really know how much better he'll get um, just because the athleticism isn't necessarily there. And, and when that's not all the way there, I guess it's harder to add things, add things to your game. But, but I do think he'll be, he'll be better offensively if he can clean up his handle. So, yep. Yeah, I agree completely. I think, I think he'll definitely be a good a good role player. I just think, um, especially in the in the late lottery or you know, kind of early teens, you're um, you, you can swing for for potential like you have with Patrick Williams, while still being pretty sure that that even his floor is is at least a, an energetic you know role player. I think that's kind of the difference for me right there. Yeah, I think his floor is kind of like Jordan Bell, but better offensively. In yeah, the sense yeah, that I, I think that he can, he can, sh- he, he's a better shooter. He's got better touch, and he just offers more offensively. You know, Jordan Bell can't really dribble the ball or create offensively, whereas Patrick Williams can. So uh, that's kind of the that's kind of the archetype I had was a Paul Millsap sap slash Jordan Bell, just because yeah. I kind of saw I kind of saw more Patrick or more Paul Millsap offensively, but kind of saw more Jordan Bell defensively. Yeah. Um, which that's, I mean, that's a really fun combination to have, but yeah, yeah, I think Patrick Williams, I think Patrick Williams is probably one of the five guys, five or six guys for me in this draft that I think has a path to become an all-star. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Uh, Yeah. Like I said, I think he definitely has one of the highest potentials in the drafts with, with all of these guys, it's pretty unsure whether they can actually hit that potential. But I think even like, you know, 80th percentile of, of his max potential, it will be a really fun player and a really um, a guy who really impacts winning as well. 
especially in a low usage thing. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that you heavily rely upon offensively. No. But in an in an ancillary role, just as the four next to Cat, I don't think that there's a better fit in this draft um, outside of, of maybe Devin Vassell. I see Vassell more as a three personally, so I guess that's why I don't, yeah, I don't think it's Vassell. But um, but if, if you want to make Vassell play the four, it'd probably be Vassell. But, um, but yeah, I, I think the Wolves are going to end up trading the 16th pick anyways or the 15th pick, hopefully – Hopefully, uh, Brooklyn can hang on to it. But but if they <laughs> keep it, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep it specifically to try and draft a guy like Patrick Williams. Yep, yep, I completely agree. I think yeah, we've spoke about trades a ton on on this pod. But if they if they do, I think I think you know this is obviously not what we're here to talk about. But I think right now, um, Vassell Williams and Bain at at you know, say three to seven, 16, and then 33, that would be my perfect draft, I think. I, I agree. I think that would be a lights-out draft. I think I, I'd i maybe want to go with, with Cassius Stanley at 33 over Bane. Yeah, I know. That's um, your man. But uh, <laughs> we, we can talk about that at a later time. But just to recap, um, going back at the start, so for LaMelo Ball and Killian Hayes, we both had Killian. Yep. Edwards and Okongwu, you had Edwards, and I had Okongwu, yep. but I am so malleable on that. I think I might <laughs> I might almost go Edwards at this point now, but we'll stick to our original. So you had Edwards, I had Okongwu. Uh, for Wiseman and Toppin, we both went Wiseman, right? Yep. And then we both went Vizel over Isaac Okoro. Um, I, I went with Kira Lewis, and then you went with Tyrese Maxey in the speedster matchup there. <laughs> um, and then we also split on on Tyrell Terry and Desmond Bain, and then and then both went Patrick Williams. I kind of hope that I'm kind of interested to see what what everybody that's listening thinks. Yeah, think yes. We can get send answers. me send me and Jack, you, you know your um your suggestions or, or your answers to the question because I'm really really intrigued to see what people think about those pairs as well. But yeah, we'll have to put polls out for each one yeah. to see to see what comes back, but. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, um, like we said uh, off air, I think we'll probably come back and do a part two at some stage as the, as the draft nears because there's still a ton of prospects that we want to watch and that we want to talk about. I had trouble leaving out a few guys, but I thought we might be here, you know, all day. We're already at an hour and a half almost, so that'll probably be enough for today. But yeah, we'll definitely get back for a part two. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the Wolves are for sure going to keep their second round pick. Uh, I'd be shocked. Yeah. If they didn't, just because of the just because of the cap space, uh, the la- the lack of cap space that the team has, so I think second round picks this year and, and in years to come are going to be really important. Um, so I think that, that that'll kind of be a fun fun topic to focus on. Um, yeah, but, a few but, second round guys. Right, but um, but yeah, so that'll be that'll be fun to dive into. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for that, Jack. Um, I'll see you, I'm sure, soon on a pod. I've got a, a special guest next week, but but after that, I'm sure I'll get you or Kyle back in. And yeah, thanks again for coming on and everyone else. Um, like, rate, subscribe, go follow Jack on Twitter. It'll be in the description of the podcast or, you know, I'll uh, tweet out the, the, the link to the pod as well. You can find Jack on Twitter there. He does really great work. Go read his stuff over at Kana Supers too. Obviously, always great, like all the stuff over there is. And yeah, I'll see all of you guys next week. Thanks, Jack. Yeah, be well, man.